All right, Jeremy, what do you have today? The big letdown. <laughs> that was a very energetic big letdown. <laughs> Trying not to bum everybody out before the show starts. Uh, here, I'll do that too. I have the black piece of coal inside the dark heart of the center of the Great Reset. Woo! Okay, people, let's begin. We have lived off, everybody. Get up. Get up, everybody. Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast. I'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster Andrew Marcus. And with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image is documentary filmmaker podcaster, the one and only Rebel Pundit, Jeremy Siegel! That one faded off a little bit strange. Yeah, I backed away from the microphones. I did a big Siegel! Is that what you did? That was an interesting effect. I'm trying new approaches. New mic techniques. How do I sound? We both sound way too positive for the gravity of the content that we have today. <laughs> I hope they don't upset anybody that way. Your mic sounds good. You sound good. Good start to the show. Jeremy, oh, we've, there's a, a lot happened today. The Durham report came out. I mean, yesterday, Durham, excuse me. Yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in full disclosure, we are recording this on Monday evening. Uh, there is a, uh, a personal conflict tomorrow that prevents us from recording tomorrow, so we're recording. It is very late Monday night. This is still as fresh as possibly could be without recording uh, after midnight. Uh, we're choosing the same things to talk about we would have talked about if we were recording on Tuesday. And the Durham report, did you see the Durham report? Sooner. I didn't see the report. Did you, did see, you that see the came report? Out? Did you? Did, did, I saw did. that it came out. Everybody's very excited about it. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's here. Should we go look at? Let's go look at Gateway Pundit. What's up at Gateway Pundit about it? Uh, I'm just sure. Just in. Here's excited. the headline. This is their featured story. Just in. John Durham releases final report concluding FBI had no verified intel when it opened crossfire hurricane investigation into Trump. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Just in time. Can you believe it? Yeah. Nick of time. So, uh, so what do you think that means? It means uh, it, they're just rubbing our nose in it. It confirms what we knew, uh, but it just, uh, nothing, nobody was held accountable. Oh, great, it happened, but nobody could be held accountable? Wasn't that your actual uh, job? I didn't realize his job heard, was just to produce a book report. I, you don't think this is devastating? <laughs> no, I do not think this is devastating. Oh, listen to this. Listen to this, because... 
This is devastating for the FBI. Did you know that? <laughs> Start today with breaking news. The years-long investigation is... Jake Tapper. ...is over, and John Durham, the special counsel, investigating whether there was any misconduct by the FBI in the Trump-Russia investigation, just released his findings for years, as you... Misconduct. Not criminal behavior here, just misconduct. You may recall Donald Trump and his supporters pinned their hopes on the investigation uh, by the former U.S. attorney for Connecticut. John Durham later named special counsel by Attorney General Bill Barr. Trump and his allies arguing that Durham would exonerate him and his 2016 campaign and associates from any hint of improper behavior regarding the Russian government's attempts to interfere in the 2016 election. Durham is coming was the slogan and the meme tweeted by Republican lawmakers uh, and the president's uh, family, hinting that Durham would lead to bombshell indictments of those who investigated Trump. Now, the bombshell indictments did not happen. Uh, Durham did get one minor court victory, two court losses. Uh, but President Trump appeared so confident of what Durham would find, he openly uh, pressured the special counsel to release his findings before the 2020 election. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is, regardless, devastating to the FBI. And to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. Let's bring in CNN. So, I told you, it's devastating. <laughs> it is devastating. Devastating and exonerates Trump. Whoop-dee-doo. Yeah, you know what would have been really exonerating is putting some people in prison. Getting so, an indict a meaningful indictment. Uh, but I think that this is, we've expected this at this point. So this is like, this is a little bit of red meat. You, like you said, it's top of Gateway Pundit. It's it's even on Drudge Report. Um, oh, well, that, what's, Drudge's, is, what's Drudge's headline? Let me go look at that because that's, they are now the... Uh, Well, and it's funny because Drudge the other day when when the Republican congressional whatever press conference about uh, all this Biden investigations that are going on was happening. And then at the same exact time, coincidentally, George Santos, the Republican congressman from New York, was indicted. Right. Magically, and that was the that was the that was the banner picture on Drudge. Yeah, Drudge is and there, is and not even a me, not even a mention of the GOP investigation into Biden. That made me think that that whole thing is was was planned between the GOP con Congress people investigating Biden and the left that's coming in to take out. Uh, Santos. They're like, here, take Santos while we do this press conference on Biden. And then you guys can report on Santos and Fox can report on Biden and we'll get everybody all, you know, bent out of shape about it. It's balance. That's how they maintain balance. Durham ends probe of FBI's Russia investigations with harsh criticism, but no new charges. Yeah, that's an MSNBC article. That's on Drudge Report. His top link for this story is an MSNBC article. 
And the top of the page it's is... It's not news is, that Drudge is, is left-wing now. That's, I mean, this is not news. No, no, I don't think so. But I think it's... I'm surprised it's even on his site at this point. I mean, that was kind of my point, is that, that uh. the other day he had the the banner was Santos. Right now the banner is, is uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, allegedly got in trouble with some women or something. And... Uh, that you know, the, it's a it's like National Enquirer, basically. It's tabloid, but there is. I'm surprised there is a little bit pointing at Durham's investigation, probably because nothing happened. <laughs> you could bet if the, if Durham arrested some people, that probably wouldn't be on Drudge. <laughs> right, it's a safe story. Right, we can talk about it because guess what? Okay, things you said happened, happened. No one got arrested. It's another demoralization campaign. That's why I said the big letdown. I'm not that letdown, but I know people are. I was expecting nothing to happen. It's a to me, it's a letdown. Even though I was expecting nothing to happen, it's the the letdown is the confirmation. <laughs> you know, it's, it, right? it's just a further confirmation. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be others. Well, there is. I have it. Oh, what? Because the big letdown I was talking about was two big letdowns, which is the one I just mentioned. The investigation into Biden. Because now there's more red meat coming out. I, I watched a few minutes of that hearing the other day and i'm like watching jim jordan and i'm like does he know they're not going to do anything which hearing are you talking about not hearing you know press conference the other day that they had where they're announcing the 10 million dollars right. that biden you know right i'm sure it was only 10 million dollars <laughs> and now that everybody is used to using trillion dollars for everything does anyone really care if he got just $10 million from China. <laughs> you know, I'm sure most people don't. Who hasn't gotten um, $10 million from China? Yeah, so so Comer, who's leading the investigation, I guess, or at least he's the he seems to be the main spokesperson for it, was on Maria Bartiromo on Sunday. And there's this headline on Gateway uh, Pundit, that uh, that he's going to drop a bomb and out whoever uh, whoever's pressuring the whistleblowers. Uh, uh, did you hear about these whistleblowers? I've heard about the whistleblowers. I've heard that like there, there are stories about some of them disappearing and not disappearing, and and yeah, there's it's a it sounds like it's a bit of a mess. Well, here's what he says, because I, I, I thought this interview was interesting. And Maria Bartiromo, she seemed to think it was interesting. I couldn't tell if her reactions were, were real or if she was acting. It was She looked shocked at what he was saying. Listen to this. Are there whistleblowers or informants missing right now? Well, with, with, with what we've investigated and the people that we've tracked down, uh, going back to the CEFC, uh, the two main players in that business, as well as all the Americans that were involved in the uh, different Biden uh, influence peddling schemes, as well as the Serbian national, uh, the nine of the 10 people uh, that we've identified that have very good knowledge 
with respect to the Bidens, they're, they're one of three things, Maria. They're either currently in court, they're currently in jail, or they're currently missing. So it's of the utmost. When he says missing, her eyes pop open like you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't expecting him to say this. I can't tell if she was really not expecting it or not. Yeah, I mean, if she's a good broadcaster, even if she knows it's coming, she's going to accentuate that point. Right? But the thing is, is like she almost looks really shocked. Well, like it, it wasn't just shock. part it's of a, her. It is shocking. What, what do you think it means? Well, listen, because there's more. most important that the FBI work with us to be able to try to identify uh, what research they've done, what investigations they've done, because we have people that want to come forward. But honestly, Maria, they fear for their lives. Not only are the Biden lawyers and the Biden White House intimidating them, the media is trying to intimidate and discredit them. And I think if you look at the Rasmussen poll, you know, seven in 10 Americans are very concerned that Joe Biden's involved in a, a public corruption scheme. We're looking to polling. To figure out what we should do here. (laughs) They're politicians. (laughs) Did you hear that? That's what they do. According to the Rasmussen poll, this is something we should look into. And they want to know more information. Seven in ten Americans strongly support the work that our House Oversight Committee is doing investigating the Biden influence peddling. And we just need to get some cooperation from uh, these different deep state bureaucracies that are standing in our way. Uh, This is absolutely extraordinary and it is stunning that some people are missing, that you need to prove this. Uh, Who in the White House is intimidating these people? Do you know? I do know. uh, We're saving that for a later time. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Her eyes popped open bigger than they did 30 seconds ago she's like what well wait how does she know to ask about somebody specifically in the white house that is a loaded question right there that that says to me she's in on this back and forth exchange with him yeah i didn't think of that that may be so the thing is like his answer it made my eyes pop open his answer is bs we do know, but we're we not do gonna know, say but we're right not going to say it right now. What in the world are you talking about? I have, dude? I have a girlfriend. She just she lives in Ottawa. I, I could tell you her name, but I'm not going to right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it doesn't sound right to me. I mean, does that make any sense in any form of reality? No. If they've this got a charge guy, to make, kn- make it. We know who it is, and we're not going to say it right now. Somebody so who's intimidating Tim, witnesses. So, so then you got a, you've got like I first saw the headline, and I was like, oh, and I interesting, you know, the the Comer's going to drop a bomb. What what do we have to wait for? <laughs> I mean, this is something we're waiting. What are you waiting on? We're not going to release it right now. Why not actually put some real pressure on? You know, and meanwhile, I I don't mind the Congress uh, having uh, dedicating an entire committee, multiple committees to digging into this stuff. But they need to be careful, too, that the House Republicans don't come across as looking like that's all they're doing, that they're only looking into scandal and they're not actually 
pro- making any proposals for uh, you know, how to govern the country should they gain actual control, because that is the what the narrative that will be used against them. But I, to me, this is all this is all window dressing. This is all this is the uh, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Oh, throw that deck chair over. Let's get some justice. But the Titanic uh, we, is still going down. We do know who it is, but we're not going to say it this time. Uh, but I can tell you one thing that a lot of people don't know. When, when I issue a subpoena to a bank or to an individual, the second I issue that, Jamie or Askins gets that. And when we get information in from the bank or, or from any individual, they make two copies, one for the majority, which are the Republicans, one for the minority, which are the Democrats. And my biggest problem with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee is they're acting as a criminal defense attorney for the Biden family. Well, you're I, acting like a prosecutor, I guess. I, I don't is even that care. Surprising? Do you care? Do you think no, this I, matters me, at all? No, to me, this is more of nothing's going to happen, right. just like Durham. The big letdown. Yeah, nothing is going to happen. And but to it me, doesn't that even matter. Like, even if you got Biden, even if you nailed him with all of this, this is not the problem. It'd be great. I'm all for it. Lock him up. We're still right in the same problem we are right now. Biden yep. is not the problem. No, he's part of it. He's a symptom. A component. Of it. A com- right. Right. He's a symptom of it. So I feel like we're he's a right now they're using all of this like a shiny bauble. Right. Yeah. It's more red meat. So Durham comes out. Trump, according to Jake Tapper, has been vindicated. Are you happy, Trump? You have been Vindicated by Jake Tapper. And the FBI, this is a, what did he say? It's a disaster. It's a disaster for the FBI. A disaster for the FBI. You know who is not, who who isn't it a disaster for? Not a disaster for America. Oh, no, 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 no. Specifically. I noticed it's not a disaster that, for the people. It's it's not a disaster for the CIA. Oh, that's interesting. CIA has their hands clean. That's who got exonerated in this little report. Yeah, that's a good point. This was just a cleanup job for the CIA. Durham, I want to know if Durham has ever worked for the CIA. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, then there was other CIA stuff, and I don't have any clips on that. There was some other stuff about the uh, the um, <clears throat> what was it? Brennan, the lies they said about the Hunter tapes or the Hunter computer that they all conspired against. Right now, they just openly like admitting it. Yeah, this is like airing everything out. Before we go into election time. Right. There's, they're, they're, you're right. They're clearing the decks, and now all of this will be old news. Right. Old news. Tr- 
for neutralize it. Trump can talk about it. Hey, listen, Trump, be quiet. Jake Tapper already vindicated you. Mm-hmm. You got your justice. People, you want justice? Forget about it. You got it. Oh, Jake and the left Tapper. already has their narrative on that one too, because they can just say, "Yeah, well, there were no, there were no indictments. There were no meaningful indictments." Right. 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 Which is says it right on the top of Drudge, but no new charges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Trump, Trump was right about everything he said, but it that doesn't matter. You didn't get what you wanted. Nobody goes to jail, and now we start over. And in fact, the okay. way that they're rolling all of these narratives out really indicates how confident they feel about the control they have over all of this going into the next election. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. And I'm sure it's designed to keep us from looking at other things that might be more significant. Like what? Like the master plan to <laughs> to, <laughs> to destroy humanity? <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't know if I could have laid it out any better for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, Jeremy, I this is one of those rabbit holes I found myself in. And actually, this was very interesting because uh, I came across a video, hmm, maybe about three weeks ago, and it was a i immediately identified it as a massive rabbit hole waiting to happen and i was all, i was already busy when i came across this video so i figured okay i'm going to pull it i'm going to put this aside i'll find a time to come back to this and then a few weeks later i see another video that has an inadvertent direct reference to it and it sent me immediately down the rabbit hole and this is actually you know, we're making light. We're we're you and I are being jovial and and jocular, but I, I, actually, I'm not sure. This is another one of those segments. I'm not sure young, really young children should be listening to. Uh, and so I'm going to actually give people time to pause, scoot the children out, listen to this segment later, because there's this is there's nothing vulgar but it's really dark. This is very adult subject matter, I think I would say. So if people have their kids out of the, out of the do you think it's enough time? Should we? Uh, yeah, I mean, people can pause. They should have enough time, unless they don't pause. If they don't pause, we probably have to wait longer because hmm. people have time to leave the room. I would just do it. I would just assume they either paused or they're going to let it roll. All right. Once you hear the chime, we are going to begin. Okay. There we go. So, Jeremy, the the definition of corporatism, I think that's where we need to start. Because uh, th- that is a foundational principle of what we're going to discuss here. And... My apologies to you and to any of our listeners, any of our audience, any of our any of our citizen producers. Uh, if some of this is going to be a material that you are f- a little familiar with, but hang in there because 
at some point it's going to transition into material that's probably new for you because I know it was new for me. And it may tie, uh, you know, when, when we're sitting here wondering, well, why are they doing this? Why is this happening? I think I've figured it out. And it's very dark. So we'll start with the definition of corporatism. Corporatism is a political and economic system in which society is organized into a set of corporate groups, each representing a specific sector of the economy or interest group. These groups are often called corporations, although they are not necessarily businesses uh, or business entities in the traditional sense. In corporatist systems, the government plays a, a role in regulating the relations between these groups and the state, often acting as an arbiter or a mediator between them. Corporatism is based on the idea that society should be organized into groups that represent the common interests of their members, and that these groups should have a voice in the decision-making process of the government. Now, does that sound familiar to you? All the, sure does. All the different affinity groups, the identity groups, and that they're called stakeholders. You've heard of stakeholder capitalism? That's right. Stakeholder capitalism. And the stakeholders that they're talking about are all of the affinity groups. So I thought that was me they were talking about. <laughs> well, you're you you if you are a victim somewhere, you can be one of them. The can I, how do I get to be a stakeholder? We'll have to unpack your privileged knapsack and see where you are oppressed. There must be somewhere you're oppressed. I don't know. It's going to be tough. You're a white male. Christian. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, right. <laughs> so th that's, this is what corporatism is. Uh, in some cases, corporatism has been associated with fascism. As fascist regime, regimes often employed corporatist policies as a means of controlling society and suppressing opposition. However, corporatism can also be found in other political and economic systems, including social democracy and some forms of authoritarianism. That all came from producer GPT. Okay. Now, keep that in mind as we begin to go through this. So... You have the World Economic Forum located in Switzerland, and that's their global headquarters. And they are, the way to look at the, at the World Economic Forum is, is as the HQ of Western corporatism. That's really what's going on there. And you're going to hear this in the clips that I have. Their entire thesis is the bringing together of government and corporations, and stakeholders. And when you look at China, China is a, a, is a corporatist society. More overtly, the government is half owner of, I think it's half owner, they're partners of every company in China. Mm -hmm. So theirs is just a more overt version. But what... What the World Economic Forum represents is the Western version of that. So we like to call our president the leader of the free world. He's not. 
He's the leader of the corporatist West. And the World Economic Forum is the current top-level manifestation of where governments and corporations come together to control the entire world. If this were a Bond movie, the World Economic Forum would be the evil organization in its secret lair. But this is real life. And real life is much more horrifying. And they're hidden in plain sight. That's why. In real life, evil exists out in the open. And nobody can do anything to stop it. That is horrifying. And the World Economic Forum is the center of gravity of the so-called Great Reset. Which essentially is the corporatist takeover of the West to match the corporatist existence of the East. Most people had never heard of the World Economic Forum before COVID and before Klaus Schwab's book, The Great Reset. And nobody's read that book. Jeremy, have you read that book? No. Nobody's read that book. But everybody talks about it. Now, I'd heard of the World Economic Forum before COVID, but that's because my head's been deep in the weeds for a long time. As I'm sure World Economic Forum was not unknown to you. But my first exposure to the connection between COVID and the World Economic Forum was Event 201. Now, you know what Event 201 was, right? We've talked about this on previous shows. Most people know it. It is uh, a couple of months before we all became aware of COVID, there was an event called, it was a, a, a meeting called Event 201 put on by the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, Johns Hopkins, and the Gates Foundation. Uh, and a participant, one of the main participants, was the director of the Chinese CDC, where they wargamed, coincidentally, the emergence of a novel coronavirus that storms the entire world two months before we all became aware of COVID. Very big coincidence. Well, so I came across, this was, this was, I told you that there were two videos that I saw. The one that I saw several weeks ago and went, well, this is a rabbit hole <laughs> and put it aside. Then I said that this, this was, there was a second video that made mention of one of the topics inside the first video that got me going. Okay, so I'm going to start with the second video and we'll work our way towards the first one. Uh, have you ever heard of a Michael Rechtenwald? Yeah. What do you know about Michael? Uh, I, th- it's escaping me right now, but the name I've definitely heard. Okay, so I know very little about the guy, but I came across this presentation he gives for uh, the Mises Institute. This is on okay. Mises Media. Uh, so this is like a libertarian outfit, I think. Listen. Uh, to- Mises is a, wasn't Mises like a, Big, uh, big capitalist 
type or free market type yes. advocate? Yes. Okay. So so this is like a free market type think tank, the Mises Institute. This is the, the name of this video on YouTube is The Great Reset and the Grand Refusal. I like that name, The Grand Refusal. Uh, he here's I'm just gonna I'll start playing a couple of clips from here. Here he is talking about event two oh one. Event 201 simulated the international response to the outbreak of a novel coronavirus two months before COVID-19. Uh, the COVID-19 outbreak became international news and a few months before it would be declared a pandemic. Uh, the John Hopkins Center for Health and uh, Security summary of the exercise closely resembles, in fact, mirrors exactly the actual COVID-19 scenario, including apparent foreknowledge of so-called asymptomatic spread, etc., the Cladex and Co uh, Event 201 simulations anticipated every aspect of the COVID crisis, notably the responses by governments, health agencies, conventional media, social media, and elements of the public. The simulated responses and their effects included worldwide lockdowns. This is in advance, a simulation, the collapse of businesses and industry, the adoption of biometric surveillance technologies, an emphasis on social media censorship to combat misinformation and disinformation. Of course, all of these things took place with the COVID crisis. And you remember I mentioned uh, Schwab's book, uh, The Great Reset. Mm -hmm. Here's what he has to say about The Great Reset. Schwab and his co-author say repeatedly, what, what an opportunity COVID has presented. Wow, this is just a wonderful, 24 times they refer to COVID as this wonderful opportunity. And the book came out Within a couple of months of COVID uh, uh, entering the, the the global consciousness, kind of makes you wonder. It's very convenient timing. Well, and then Kent Kennedy was talking about that in the interview with Jim Hoff last week. Yes, and I have a clip of that towards the end of this. Okay, and I, I contemplated playing that clip first. But once you yeah. hear it after the end of this, you'll understand why. I think you'll understand why I kept it towards the end. Uh, here he, uh, Michael, talks about stakeholder capitalism. The economic system that they want to usher in is called stakeholder capitalism. Now, stakeholder capitalism is a euphemism and doublespeak for this kind of a collusion between the government and the state uh, and the corporate world and uh, this kind of a cartel uh, shared monopoly scheme that it establishes. They have uh, signed on 1,000 of the world's top corporations in, you know, in all the major sectors of the economy, and they're all firmly behind this agenda. Uh, BlackRock Inc. is uh, one of the major ones. Larry Fink is the CEO. He sits on the, um, the board uh, of trustees of the World Economic Forum. And he is firmly behind the stakeholder capitalism regime, which has as its main mechanism the ESG score. And then he effectively said, uh, we have long believed that our clients as shareholders in your company will benefit if you can create enduring sustainable value for all of your stakeholders. 
as more and more investors choose to tilt their investments towards sustainability-focused companies, the tectonic shift we are seeing will accelerate further. And because this will have such a dramatic impact on how capital is allocated, every management team and board will need to consider how this will impact their company's stock. Translation, if you don't get on board with the sustainability ESG stakeholder regime, you're going to be starved of capital and die on the vine. That's the translation. And this is merely a translation also of Schwab's own admonitions where he says, uh, every country from the United States to China must participate and every industry from oil, gas to tech must be transformed. Uh, I love that he does that. Right? <laughs> That's the best. It sounded like you, actually. I imagine your uh, impression of Schwab sounding like that. I think mine's a little bit better. Must be transformed. <laughs> Yours is more accurate. <laughs> I mean, so we have to make fun of these people. Uh, this is a part of resistance. Uh, I really like this Michael. He's got his head on straight. He's He is very specifically and tactically using ridicule, which is good. So that stakeholder capitalism, uh, you know the phrase, everything inside the state, nothing outside the state? Everything outside the no, state. No, everything inside the state. Nothing outside the outside the state. Say that at like Charles Schwab. Everything inside the state. Nothing outside the state. Klaus. Kla Kr sorry, it's, Klaus. Now Charles. Klaus. Yeah, Charles was a Charles was an investor. Uh, <laughs> Klaus. <laughs> it is Klaus. All right. Everything inside the state. Nothing outside the state. Yes. Everything must be inside the state, not outside the state. That uh, is a quote originally attributed to Benito Mussolini, the founder of fascism, <laughs> leader of Italy between 1922 and 1943. Oh, come on. You're going to tell me because Mussolini said that, <laughs> that that makes Klaus Schwab the same? Well, now, Klaus never said that. I'm just saying everything they're describing is exactly what fascism oh. was under Italy, under Mussolini. Everything inside no. the state, nothing outside the state. Mussolini believed the state should be the center of all aspects of society and that it should have complete control over the lives of its citizens. In his view, the state was the ultimate expression of the will of the people and should have the power to direct the economy, the military, the culture, and art. The phrase, everything inside the state, nothing outside the state, reflects Mussolini belief, Mussolini's belief in the, to, uh, the totalizing power of the state. It means that all aspects of society, including the economy, education, media, culture, should be under the control of the state with no room for independent or private interests. The state should be the sole authority with no checks or balances on its power. And again, that is, have you been paying attention? Anybody who's been paying attention, every aspect of our lives is now regulated by the state. Everything. That's true. So, very true. You've talked before about how Schwab, you feel Schwab 
is not the the Dr. Evil people think he is. Right? You've said he's more just the face of it. Well, I don't know that I don't I I think he's a I think he's a very important part of it. I I don't know if I if I've said that about Schwab, I've said that about George Soros. Ah, uh, yeah, you've said it about Soros. Yeah. But, I, well, I, but it would hold for it, Schwab too though that he's right. that he is not the top guy. We talk about this, I this don't plane think, that's flying yeah. overhead. He may be right. he may be one of the pilots, he may be a pilot in the plane, but he is not back on the base. He's not a general back on the base. But he could be a flight attendant. <laughs> no, Fithian, Lisa Fithian is the flight attendant. <laughs> Ugh, it'd be the worst flight ever. <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh, I no. I think the the point there, and and the point in saying that about Soros too, is 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 Soros has been the big boogeyman now since going at least back to the Tea Party, you know, in the you know two thousand eight, two thousand ten. Right. Glenn Beck started bringing a lot of attention to George Soros, yes. and it was a big deal, and then. Uh, Pretty pretty much before you know it, George Soros was controlling everything, and he's the puppet master of everything. And I don't believe that he is. I believe he's one of the players, right? So, but I believe he's one of the players that has been assigned the role of being the puppet master for public consumption. Okay, so here, listen, listen to this clip from uh, Michael Rechtenwald uh, at uh, Mises uh, Institute here. Uh, he basically agrees with you. You're gonna you're gonna agree with him. This is Larry Fink's. Uh, uh, this is the assets under management by BlackRock. They held uh, ten trillion dollars under management. They're the largest asset manager in the world, and this guy is the it's the tip of the spear driving ESG. So it's not like Schwab is like a quarterback on the field. Okay, he's just executing the plays that are being called down from the booth. And people like uh, like uh, Larry Fink, they're kind of like the, the the offensive coordinator, okay. And then there might be a layer above him, who are calling the shots altogether. These are monopolists who want to monopolize the economy. They use the ESG as a demarcation device in order to drive out all the competition and exclude them from the marketplace and uh, retain complete and total control over the rest of the economy. What they're doing is drawing corporations into the state and making them state apparatuses. We see this going on all over the place. You saw it with Twitter. You're seeing it with Google. You, they're, they're, these are not private companies per se. They were, first of all, established by InQtel, which is the CIA's own funding agency. Secondly, they operate as state apparatuses and controlling opinion and narratives and, uh, and even canceling people from the public sphere. So anyway, but what this represents not only, is not only sort of what leftists will say is the privatization of the government. What they what really is going on here is the governmentalization of private industry, turning private industry into governmental agents. Here's the rep, this represents Incutel and who they funded, for example. Uh, of course, they're CIA. They're a CIA operation. They funded Nokia, Microsoft, Oracle, Google, and Facebook, and IBM. Hmm. 
So what you have here are American corporations which are owned in large part by the CIA and BlackRock. Is that redundant? Partnering with European governments and corporations. And are they are those corporations owned by their spy agencies too? They're all partnering to control the world. Mm-hmm. Did I mention that in addition to their headquarters in Switzerland, the World Economic Forum has regional offices in New York, Beijing, Tokyo, and San Francisco? San Francisco, that's a lovely place. <laughs> yeah, that's the future. You have hyper-wealthy and, and everyone else uh, destitute. Well, so here's, uh, here's Klaus Schwab in his own words. Today, this is, by the way, this is from 15 years ago. Today, the borderline between public and private is blurred. Um, and I think it's very important to emphasize the notion of corporate global citizens. Uh, big corporations like Microsoft, whoever, uh, say, ha- have a lot of advantages from the fact that the world has become global. But they also have not only um, rights, they have also duties. When the German uh, says to you that the line is blurring between the corporates and the government, I think it is time to uh, flee. Run, run away. They not only have rights, but they have duties. (laughs) It's like a D D with a Z sound, duties. They have duties. He is Zakta Zivel. So here's Rechtenwald once more, and he, he, he'll explain China's the model. What they're doing is they're, these globalists, they want to basically establish socialism or capitalism with Chinese characteristics globally. This is my contention. And the Chinese system is the model for the Great Reset. They're looking at China and they go, look, we got... Uh, you got all these, you still have for-profit production by these oligarchs. Uh, you have total control over the population. Uh, you have this great surveillance structure. And, uh, you know, and you have, you still get generated wealth for the, for the few. And here he talks about, uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, board member, the foundation, there's the World Economic Foundation, uh, board member Maurice Strong praising China's use of capitalism in their endeavor to uh, further their socialism. And the WF, uh, WF board member, foundation board member, he said to The Guardian, we know that capitalism, ha- pure capitalism hasn't worked. In China, they have used their system, which they call a socialist market economy, quite well to achieve their objectives. They have learned how to use the methods of capitalism to meet their own goals of socialism. That's what he said. Uh, they've been modeling China and Schwab recently in an interview with Chinese TV, uh, with official state Chinese TV, said, China's the model for the world. Uh, he effectively said, China make a good model for all nations. Uh, he started speaking Chinese a little bit there. 
I was going to say. Uh, respect. <laughs> right. But here's, here's the clip. I dug it up. And, you know, you really could maybe divine through the German accent that he's doing, that he's, it's kind of German with the Chinese he's affect. culturally appropriating yes. like, Chinese. Like Hillary Clinton at a black church. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. I uh, respect uh, China's achievements, which are... <laughs> right? <laughs> I respect... <laughs> He's uh, trying to sound like a Chinese guy. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but is it like Chinese with an, uh, a, a, an English dialect <laughs> spoken I by a German yeah. person? This is very confusing. I respect... Uh, <laughs> what do you say that? that is it's like a german chinese accent so now okay try and forget uh, put aside our joke listen listen to what he says i uh, respect uh, china's achievements which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years i think it's um a role model for many countries but the chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for uh, quite a number of countries so i think it's now it's pr- hopefully pretty well established for you and our listening audience the what is motivating the World Economic Forum? They are uh, building a corporatist future with China as the model. Is that mm-hmm. that a pretty clear takeaway from what I've presented so far? It sounds like an accurate conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay. Now, hang in there because I haven't even really gotten to the dark part. This is all – a lot of this people know. But it's foundational to where this is about to go. So let me play. Let me play one more. Here, here's uh, here he talks about the World Economic Forum and uh, a, a partnership that they entered into in June of 2019. So think about that. This is just oh, that's several right months before. That's right before there was a outbreak of a novel coronavirus in a bowl of bat soup at a Chinese wet market. That, that is exactly right. Four months prior to event 201 is this. The WF signed a contract or an agreement, a partnership agreement with the uh, UN to advance uh, Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, the WF promised to finance the UN's climate change agenda. Uh, the framework also commits the WF to helping the UN meet the needs of the fourth industrial revolution. Part of that is involves what they're calling digital governance. And this is a governmentalities, government, governmentalism that is increasingly outsourced to algorithms, to, uh, to, uh, to AI. Uh, and this is government by robots. Okay. They, they promise it on, uh, they promise this like transhumanism, like you'll, you'll have complete access to all knowledge of all the world on, at the, at the tips of your neurons without even going on the web. Uh, you'll have isn't so much starting power. To, be, uh, isn't this starting to just remind people of the Garden of Eden a little bit? How so? I just got to ask. 
I mean, they do. They keep promising all this knowledge. Oh, you can get plugged yeah. into all this knowledge. It's like the tree of knowledge. Oh, very interesting. I mean, just a little bit. Um, I just, I've, I've thought of that a I few like times. That. I'm like, huh, you know, is this a, is this a little bit of history repeating itself Wow, here? that's like, very interesting. Like, do you want to bite that apple? Yeah, maybe not. Neurons, without even going on the web. Uh, you'll have so much power and you'll be able to use AI. It'll be connected to your own brain. You'll become a supercomputer yourself, all this kind of stuff. But it is not really going to be used that way. These are going to be used to control the population at large. Yeah, you're really right, Jeremy. That's a, it is a, it's a satanic appeal. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow, I never really even thought of it that way. My agnostic brain never even looked at it that way. Just turn your brain around the other way. And you can see it clearly. <laughs> well, that's why there's two of us, Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, okay, so now we're going to get to the part. The next clip I'm going to play. And, 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 and keep in mind, let me just that last clip. Let me just say this real quick. They're taught it was a deal signed between the World Economic Forum and the UN for sustainable climate goals. Sustainability. Okay, this is going to be very important. In the next few clips. In this next clip, this is where this is where uh, Michael said something that Michael Reckenwald said something that blew me away. Got me. This clip on its own is not such a, a mind blowing clip, except that in reference to what I had seen previously, several weeks prior. It blew me away. Listen to this and I'll explain. Except there's a deeper history. It goes back to uh, these roundtable groups that formed beginning in 1920, like uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, the Bilderberg Group, the Club of Rome, then the World Economic Forum, then the Trilateral Commission. These are all roundtable groups based on Alfred Milner's roundtables. Uh, and uh, this is really where these, these are all globalist organizations that have been pushing a global agenda for uh, over 100 years. Had you heard of these, of all of these groups? I've heard of some of them, but not all every, of them. I've heard of every single one, yes. You had heard of the Club of Rome? Yes. Do you? I think Al Gore's in the Club of Rome. Uh, is jo John Kerry maybe is in the Club of Rome? I'm pretty sure Al Gore is. Yeah, it's a secret society. <laughs> okay, I had never heard of the Club of Rome until a few weeks before I saw this clip that I've been playing you from Mises. And the, 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 the video that I stumbled across was a very fancy, elite, elitist, snobbish event taking mm -hmm. place in Germany in Berlin, and it was a Club of Rome event. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was high cocktail hour, champagne and cheese being served, and all of the finest of a polite society. Anyone who's anyone absolutely was there, Jeremy. That's the kind of event it was. Why weren't we there? <laughs> we are not anyone we are nobody jeremy 
<laughs> so I stumbled across this video, and it was the they were it was an event celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of a book. Uh, author Dennis Meadows, the book titled "Limits to Growth." Have you ever heard of this? No. It's Fifty years old. You haven't heard of it? No. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah, this is a peach, Jeremy. <laughs> this is a real peach. So I went digging, and I, when I first when I first saw the video, the video two hours long. This dinner that they put on. Okay, so I didn't have time. That's why I set it aside. I'm like, I don't have time to go through this video. But I had little alarm bells going off in my stomach. There's something to this. Something's, something's up with this. I don't know what it is, but it's, it, it's going to be worth going through. Then Rechtenwald mentions them, and I have to go back. And now, okay, well, what was, what was that video? What was it? Oh, yeah, they were celebrating this book by Dennis Meadows. I then went to go look. Well, who is Dennis Meadows? What is, you know, is he... Is he still relevant? Oh, yeah, he's still relevant. I found an interview with him. Uh, this interview is five years ago, so back when the book was celebrating its 45th anniversary. And, you know, just, again, keep in mind, the event that they're holding, this is this guy, is a, he is a spiritual pillar. What he has written is a spiritual pillar of the Club of Rome and the group, the, the wider movement as a whole. Everything I've played for you so far, Jeremy, this entire segment is the what. What is happening? Now we're going to talk about why. And if you have not gotten your kids out of the room, stop right now. Well, wait, 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 wait. Point of order. Don't leave yet. Let's pause and make people wait for it longer. I know what you want. Very clever, Jeremy. Keep them wanting more. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we've arrived at that part in the program where we get to tell you how it is that we make the Truth Bait Podcast a possibility. And it is not through corporate sponsorship. Uh, Pfizer turned us down. The Club of Rome has pulled their ads. <laughs> we do not have corporate sponsorship uh, because we would not be able to bring you the truth of Truthbait. Uh, you cannot have corporate sponsorship and tell the truth, Jeremy. Isn't that the case? Uh, yeah, unless the truth is a lie. <laughs> yes, if you wanted to peddle the current true lies, uh, you can take corporate sponsorship. We do not. We have citizen sponsors. And that means if you are listening to this program, if you find that what we are bringing is value, if we are bringing value to your life, to your precious podcast listening time, and we do, I do believe it is precious. There is no greater commodity than time. And for you to decide to spend your precious time listening to us is a high compliment. It is why we are doing this, and you must be feeling as though you are receiving value. Otherwise, you would not be spending your valuable time listening to this program. And if you are getting value, we ask that you return value to the program so that we can keep doing this. And right now, the number one way that you can return value to this program is share the show. 
share the show. And where are you listening to this show? Are you listening on Apple Podcasts? Are you listening? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please go rate the show and leave a comment. You can, uh, and, and I've been asked to give instructions on how to do this with Apple because Apple's a little bit confusing. If you're on our show page at Apple, scroll down. If you scroll all the way down, you'll see where you can rate the show and leave a comment. For some reason, Apple doesn't make it obvious unless you unless you scroll down. Uh, uh, Spotify, I believe, yeah. also has a way for you to rate the show. Um, and Spotify, I think you do it on your mobile device, I think. And that's how I've done it before. And it's sort of like right under the album art. You can it'll there's like a star, and you can click that. And on Apple, yeah, you got to go down like you're looking through all the list of the episodes, and then you see the ratings. Which we got a new rating, which is a four. Right. So some somebody, but it was attached to, to a compliment. It's attached it to was? one of the comments. I didn't see that. Yeah, Truthminer gave us four stars for Plan for Sudan. I think that Truthminer meant it as a compliment, but uh, for some reason didn't give us the five stars. Truthminer, if you're listening, go back in change your change that to a five five. star. Yeah, what is this? Come on. (laughs) Or we're going to block your downloads from now on, Truthminer. Yeah, we don't need honest ratings here. We need all fives. (laughs) We had... A huge result from our previous episode, the uh, uh, episode number 25, our interview with Jim Hoft. Yeah. Uh, That episode ended up going up on the Gateway Pundit. You posted a link to it. And uh, should we tell people how many downloads there were? Our numbers are showing, let's let's just say we are showing in the many thousands. Many thousands. And it's extremely exciting. So in one day, Jim Hoff's website killed all of the shares that we have. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, I think it was like, it was like a 20,000% a, 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 a increase. <laughs> no, it was a over 60,000% increase <laughs> in traffic. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely exciting. And I'm, I have high hopes for word. episode 26 is going to be right. just well, the, as high. <laughs> also, I don't want to forget the secret word for episode 25 at the end of the show was, do you remember? Uh yes I do it was vente cinco well it was vente cinco oh sorry uh, wrong ben, wrong region vente <laughs> cinco Eddie L in Delavan is the winner you get a twenty five dollar popcorn and a case of plezzy and I feel sorry for yeah. You. Are we punishing our listeners that, who get this? If <laughs> you're gonna drink Michelle Obama's gross. Sugar juice, ugh! But that's what you win. Mm. So good job, Eddie. There were other people that sent in uh, the secret word, but Eddie L was the first. Congratulations, so Eddie L. Eddie L. Yes, and um, we love your feedback and comments. And I got a doozy here from Michael. L. Good doozy. Not related doozy, to what Eddie kind of doozy L. are we talking about? Yeah, Michael L. Not related to Eddie L. This is Michael L. from Vernon Hills. Uh, 
I listened to Veinte Cinco. He wrote Viente. Is that how you spell it? Uh, I it was that's how I've known it, but you know, Maybe, I, I took an American Spanish class, so I don't remember. I learned Spanish on the road, and I didn't do well in my Spanish class. I liked the show a lot. Entertaining. Two things. Only thing I disagree with substantially is your take on swear words. Hmm. Do you remember our conversation about using profanity on this show? Yes. And we talked about it in the last episode, right? Indeed. You sort of brought it up and kind of talked about how we came to having a no profanity uh, policy on the show, wanting to be a clean show, mainly my uh, my push, a strong push, uh, something that I didn't want to have on the show because I know a lot of people uh, listen to it, don't like to listen to content that has profanity. And we also know that there are a lot of young people that listen to the show uh, that don't use profanity. and Who should not listen after this segment. <laughs> <laughs> and and what did i say to you mr marcus do you remember i don't know if you do but i said to you you know a lot of content has profanity out there um but we could offend a lot of people by having it but we're never gonna offend anybody by not having it. Nobody's going to listen to our show and say, well, the show is really good, but you didn't swear enough. Has, does Mr. L <laughs> want us to swear? <laughs> it sounds like Michael L is that one person I didn't think existed. <laughs> if you're concerned about it so much... I'll give you a story. I use swear words in language. So do the greatest comedians of all time. Pryor, Murphy, Rock, Mason. I believe that's Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, and Jackie Mason, maybe. Um, all people who at one time in my life I probably thought was funny and I don't anymore. He says, I'll tell you something my daughter never swears i don't know what that had to do with this point but he said relax on poor andrew is my opinion language and words aren't dangerous nor are they defining in and of itself context and tone make all language appropriate and a question about the show that maybe i missed from earlier episodes is this love fest for kennedy do we have a love fest for Kennedy? Yeah, I think you're a Kennedy man. I like Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, I think you uh, I don't know if I love Kennedy. I know you guys like his stand on vax and bioweapons for sure and all the CIA stuff. Politically, he sounds more libertarian than today's Democrat from uh, my own search on him. That said, he's a 70-year-old guy who has an issue with his voice to me. I think he has as much a chance of winning as Marianne Williamson. Well, Michael, I agree with that. Absolutely. I, I think we've said that. We don't think Kennedy has a chance of winning. Uh, he does have an issue with his voice, we've talked about. And uh, I never thought somebody would actually uh, wish we had more profanity on the show. 
I think <laughs> I think we ought to you know take a closer look at what Michael's saying where you need to take it easy on poor Andrew. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, I, 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 it is a challenge for me sometimes. It's getting easier and easier. I do think it was absolutely the right move because we do have young children listening to this program. Uh, there are plenty of places where you can hear uh, a much more relaxed tongue in that respect. Uh, that I, I don't know that the content of what we are presenting is diminished at all by keeping that out. I think it's accentuated. Uh, I think we will, in the long run, reach a larger audience by keeping it clean in that respect. And I think one of one of the arguments that I made to you, I mean, you know, I have a reason b- biblically in the Bible it says to not use profanity. There are there are many places, uh, and that's my primary reason. Uh, but you know, other reasons that I gave were. I don't think I think that it's uh, intellectually it can be very intellectually lazy and there we should be able to find words and uh, language that help us to articulate our point without using words that are offensive to a a good number of people out there, but Michael, I do appreciate the feedback. I know Andrew always appreciates a good, well, even a weak defense. <laughs> I'll take any. I, I'll take any defense <laughs> I can get. It's, it's tough working with Jeremy. Uh, you know what? I, I would say. Hold on. I just regarding. Wanna, I want to say just one thing in response to to one of the points Michael made about all those comedians. They're all performing in adult circumstances, adult venues where there are specifically no young children. Uh, so there's something to be said for the context of the performance. And this program, like I said, it just is. We're reaching families, and so we wouldn't play we wouldn't even play a uh look i love dave Chappelle, but we wouldn't play a dave Chappelle clip on this show and one thing is we have if you look on apple and spotify we our rating is clean right which is very That's how they rate us and there are shows that uh we we we've kind of modeled our show after no agenda we've talked about that a lot of times and we think that those guys are very good at what they do however if you look at the rating for their show it says explicit and it's pretty much very similar and many times very similar content reviewing you know criticizing media and and such we do it a little bit differently i listen to their um, program to make sure that we are not duplicating them yeah, and and the, if you look at their rating, it says explicit, and you know I I I can't. Well, I'm shocked. I never thought anybody would complain that there wasn't enough profanity. Um, but I'm glad you're still listening, anyways. Well, I hope you don't you think listening. it's an impulse for to to. Uh, want to foster and protect every type of freedom of speech, and so not. You know, not gagging what would be my natural response to something if it includes profanity as a defense of freedom of speech. And frankly, I'm I'm sympathetic to that completely. If that's if that's what we're talking about here, uh, uh, I just again, I you know, it didn't occur to me to be profanity free. That was that was Jeremy's idea. 
and insistence. And all I can say is I'm grateful for it. I think it was the and right then, move. Yeah. And I, 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 I think uh, you have said to me uh, privately and on the show now that it's, you're noticing it more when you hear it in other places in a way that you didn't notice it before because you're forced basically to think about not using it. And so it's something you're paying attention to. Yeah. I want those people to try harder. (laughs) If I have to try harder, I want them to try harder. Comedians (laughs) though are a bit of an exception because I think that, you know, really good comedians, they craft every word of their performance. And sometimes those expletives are, are, are absolutely intentional to what they're trying to do. So that's, yeah, I I mean, I can see that that's just, and like I said, Years ago, before my worldview changed, I would have watched those comedians and laughed too. I'm ashamed to admit it now today because it's not something I not only hear on the show, but it's just something I try to avoid. And I'm not perfect. I still, you know, I can still make mistakes. But I think uh, actually, I find myself, if I do ever slip up, I find myself disappointed in myself for not being able to. Uh, avoid it you wish your uh, life anyways, was a podcast so you could go back and, and edit out your <laughs> edit out right. your, your expletives <laughs> or if, I could bleep my, if i could bleep myself that would be good um and then uh with regard to the love fest for kennedy i've decided t- i am a trump republican and a kennedy democrat ah very interesting look the, the thing with kennedy is he is a disruptor of the maoist cultural revolution emanating out of the left. So anything that does that, I'm for. Uh, uh, I, I think that what we said was that if Trump was if Trump is not the nominee, then what would you do? Then Kennedy becomes a real potential option because most of us are so completely disenchanted with the establishment of the GOP and the establishment of the Democrats. So it, it, basically anything that... D- d- works against the establishment is a potential positive for me. So, um, and I still contend that neither of them can win without each other. Uh, and Kennedy will have to become Trump's vice president, uh, candidate. And if he doesn't, they will both lose. Yeah. Trump's the That's- only one that can, that can win that can be given the selection because there are no free and fair elections in the United States anymore uh, because the elections are stolen now. So the only, they are selections. So only way Trump gets in is if they decide to go for the chaos again, because that's where they can profit most in their drive ever leftward, ever, Um, ever corporatist, Jeremy, to bring us back to the corporatist disaster. Are you ready to go back into the, into the heart of darkness. We had one more uh, right into us. We can go through it uh, quickly. Go here. for it. Will the heart Will of darkness will be Wisconsin. waiting? Will from Wisconsin writes: First thing, I'm curious on Andrew's statement about evil existing, and contrary, uh, if goodness exists, where do evil and good come from? As Andrew stated, he's not a Christian. I'm being set up. Second, That's a setup. <laughs> <laughs> secondly, secondly, Jeremy, no offense by this, but the whole Michelle Obama thing about being a man seriously needs to be looked into. 
There, <laughs> there are people on the interweb willing to pay thousands of dollars for a picture of her pregnant. And if you do some research, the claim is pretty evident, especially if you watch the Ellen clip. Well, one of her anyway. kids doesn't even look like I don't think either of her kids really look like her. I don't know. I, I think, think it's they, definitely both possible. Really that tall. I, I, you're not going to find a picture I of. Uh, I mean, was can you find a picture of Hillary pregnant? Well, that's what with, I was going to say. Webb's like, kid? I've never seen pictures of Laura Bush pregnant. I've never seen pictures of any other first ladies pregnant. I don't I'm know. I'm not really even were... into that. I just think um, I don't know. I never. Th- I when you when when I first saw the email, I was like, huh, yeah. I never did. Th- I never did see a picture of Michelle Obama pregnant, but uh, then I thought, I was like, yeah, but I've never seen any of those other women either. I don't know. I've seen a lot of pictures of Michelle Obama going back to like school yearbooks and stuff. I think the Obamas are very corrupt people. Um, I do think there's something to the story that, that uh, we probably don't know or have not been told the truth about who obama's father is um but uh i don't know i don't i think michelle is a female that's my uh my take on it um i do too but i like i like the narrative uh, I think it's fun to no, have I the narrative out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. a little bit, you know, mischievous. I like and- to get an email like this. Honestly, I, I mean, it's a great email. It's funny, and um, wouldn't there be? Uh, this so- is the other thing. So, the, just to just to play devil's advocate on that one, uh, in response, wouldn't there be any photographs or images of Barack Obama with other men, with other trannies? Like was Michelle uh, the first one he met and he fell in love with and that's it? Like, th- yeah, it's all a sh- it's it's all a it's all a stretch to me. I don't. I mean, I I think they're weird people. I think I I don't care for them. Um, she definitely wears but, the pants in the family. That's for sure. Yeah, I. But I. Yeah, I don't know. So, Will. Um, Thank you for that. Oh, Will added, P.S., uh, is Tucker a PSYOP and is Elon controlled or yet sinister opposition furthering the Antichrist beast system? Or are they both just good old patriots? Uh, God bless you guys. Well, I I do. I think, I think we haven't gotten the full truth on... Tucker and I do think Elon is a globalist. Um, I do think there's a lot of interesting news around both of them, and I don't think we can get into all of that today. Tucker works for the CIA, and Elon Musk is a sales face, uh, is not actually running any of the stuff that he is in charge of. I agree with that. <laughs> Just to, to boil it down for you. <laughs> so. Thank you for the uh, feedback, everybody. Thank you for participating. Uh, I think that's the key to this show as uh, listener participation. And uh, who did some? You said somebody sent you this video that got you on this whole Club of Rome no, deal. No, no, this was all generated by me. Oh, just something you yeah, came just across. All, okay. all me, baby. I'm um, the producer of this segment. 
Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> everybody, good job. Keep it up. Uh, please keep writing in. Please keep sharing the show. And please keep sending in feedback and, and things like this that I think make for uh, interesting or entertaining conversation. And, uh, okay, I'll let you go back to the darkness that you Well, no, okay, so that was, that was actually a very good break. People hopefully have, by now have had plenty of time to uh, this for this to only be an adult audience. Um, and I'll play the chimes just one more time. All right, get your children out. So to recap, we have the what. What is happening is the World Economic Forum and and this institutional corporatist g- group. Uh, gather a group of groups uh, are ushering in a a new model, a Chinese model, essentially a a corporatist model for the West to compete with China. Okay, Is that recap yeah. for you? Do you I, I I'll use my I'll use you as my barometer for the audience. If if you feel like yep. your head is in the right place and you understand. What it is that I've been playing? You, you have he, you have. Uh, 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 I'm going to speak for the audience and say they get it. They, you, you have. Uh, hold on a second. Let me. Oh, Do go? you get yeah, it, no, Mr. Hold on Marcus? I'm going to make a mark here. One twenty-two. Just going to close this gap. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you're not editing this out. <laughs> so, uh, Michael Rechtenwald, he's laid, he has laid out the the fact that our CIA owns most of our major corporations, our major communication corporations: Google, Facebook, IBM, Oracle. They seeded all of these companies. So these are, this is a corporatist model waiting to happen. And the WEF, the World Economic Forum, is the corporate HQ. It's the, it's the headquarters of corporatism for the West. And I had, before the break, I was teeing up the, uh, the Club of Rome, who had been celebrating with their 50th anniversary of this book from Dennis Meadows, uh, the book The Limits to Growth, first published in 1972, 50 years ago. This is the why that goes in companionship with the what that you've been hearing thus far. And if you think the what has sounded dark, I mean, how much darker do you get than the tree of knowledge? <laughs> okay. The satanic offer. It's pretty dark, right, Jeremy? I think so. Yeah. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. What are the, what were, wh- when you look at the fascists that, that, that led to World War II, when you boil it down, what you really had there were elitists. They called themselves progressives then, too. And these elitists, through eugenics, had decided that the world was in peril. 
and that it was absolutely imperative that we clean the bloodlines. Humanity's very existence was at stake. We had to get rid of the defectives from the bloodline. The only debate, the only debate that was that defined left or right, liberal versus radical. Don't think left and right in our country. Think left and right of of progressivism. The liberals of progressivism just wanted to sterilize people. That, that was very humane because the radicals of progressivism opened up gas chambers and murdered millions and millions of people, all for the same cause. They were elitists who had determined that they know what's best and they know who should live or die for the betterment of humanity. Jeremy, nothing has changed. It's and the you same. disagree with these people? What's that? You disagree with these people? <laughs> a little bit. I have some I'm willing to hear them out, but I at the end of the day, I think there is there are oh, some no go zones in, in there. There are some things I've that are just enough. deal breakers. Just deal breakers. <laughs> Listen to this. This is Dennis Meadows five years ago. I don't expect that we're going to avoid collapse. We are so far, globally, you are so far above the population and the consumption levels which can be supported by this planet that I know in one way or another it's going to come back down. So I don't hope to avoid that. I hope that it can occur in a, a, a civil way. I, I, and I mean civil in a, in a special way. I, peaceful. Peace doesn't mean uh, that everybody's happy. But it means that conflict isn't solved through violence, through, through force, uh, but rather in other ways. And so uh, that's what I hope for. The planet can support something like a billion people, maybe two billion, depending on how much liberty and how much material consumption you want to, to have. If you want more liberty and more consumption, you have to have fewer people. And conversely, you can have more people. I mean, we could even have eight or nine billion, probably, if we have a very strong dictatorship, which is smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. Always unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. Just, just think about that, sen that sentence for just a moment. It implies, wouldn't it be fortunate if we had a smart dictatorship? <laughs> Sky. Wait, wait, hold on. Smart. It's, unfortunately, you never have smart dictatorships. They're always stupid. So, but if you had a smart dictatorship and a low standard of living, you can have it. But, but we want to have freedom and we want to have a high sentence. So we're going to have a billion people. And we're now at seven. So we have to get back down. I hope that this can be slow, relatively slow, and that it can be done in a way which is relatively equal, uh, you know, so that people share uh, the experience and you don't have a few rich, you know, trying to force everybody else to, to deal with it. So those are my hopes. I mean, these are pretty pessimistic hopes, you know, but I mean, that's, that's what lies ahead. A key issue here is the speed of the decline. We hope for a slow decline because that gives you time to adjust. If we had a volcano explosion, that's rapid. Suddenly, overnight, agricultural production went down by 40 or 50 percent. 
just like that. Uh, the globe can't peacefully adjust to such a shift like that. Uh, depletion of cheap energy is a slow process. You know, there'll still be oil 100 years from now, but it'd be much more expensive. We have a chance to adjust to that in a more or less a peaceful way. That shook me. When I heard that, that shook me. Well, he said it. you could do it peacefully. Their goal is to take this population down to a billion people. The global population. Yeah, but equally. He said <laughs> equally and peacefully. Equally and peacefully. And when you hear him talk about cheap energy, eliminating cheap energy, that's what's happening. We walked away. We threw away our energy independence because it was cheap energy. Because they want energy to be incredibly expensive because they want our population reduced. They are reducing population. Now, I ask you, these elitists, these elite progressives who have decided that they need to take the population down to a billion, how do you think they're going to do that? Well, equally and peacefully. Yeah. With a virus, maybe? I think, he says, I hope, (laughs) I hope, I hope we could do it in a way that is, you know, like equal. That's 85% of the population, Jeremy. And peaceful without violence. When I say peaceful, I mean without. (laughs) Right. I don't mean, I I don't mean people living in peace. I don't mean, I don't mean. I don't mean kill everybody with weapons, not weapons like guns. No, just confine them, confine them into 15-minute cities and then seal off those 15-minute cities and starve them to death. I mean more like slowly over time where nobody realizes what's right. happening. I as mean they peacefully die that off. you don't come you chop know, off my head. Right, peacefully in a way where there's no resistance and no rebellion and everybody's looking around just kind of wondering, where did those other 5 billion people go? <laughs> I swear they were just here. Yeah, this is the why. That's the why. Everything that has been happening. We've been why have why did we throw away our energy independence? Why are we uh all why did we lock down? Why are we all taking this experimental vax? Why is all of this crazy stuff happening? This is why. You took the vax? Well, not yet. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> as soon as I have my next, my, as soon as I have surgery for something, they'll probably have to give me blood and then I'll be vaxxed. Thank, thank goodness. So, uh, again, you know, so uh, the hairs are up on the back of my neck. I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a, I'm a tinfoil guy with my hat. But to me, when I take these two clips together, the cylinders begin to fall into place. I begin to see a much bigger picture happening here. And think of this. They see, I think that the leadership in the West and in the East, they see that we're heading off a fiscal cliff. There's no way that we're not all going to crash and burn. 
So eliminating a bunch of your very angry population is kind of a strategic smart move if you caused the crash and burn. I can see a whole lot of incentives in place here. A, a, A nice big war would help too. How about famine? They're eliminating farms in the bread baskets of the world. The Netherlands, they just shut down 3,000 farms. They're going to cause starvation because starvation is a natural occurrence. That's not man-made. There's no one you go attack for that. I don't think that's going to deliver the peace he's looking for, though. But aren't those farms somehow contributing to global warming? Right. They're using all of that as the excuse to starve the populations out. These people are hyper-elitist. They know who deserves to live and die. And they've got to get us back down to a billion people. Or we have to be anything above a billion people. We don't get freedom and freedom of consumption. We have to be in a restricted society at over a billion people. See, We're at like 8 billion that- people right now. This is where it all gets a little bit fishy to me. You don't think that's feasible to do peacefully? Well, it's like everything was making sense a little bit. Not really. Until he said, uh, yeah, you can have more freedom. You'll have more. You'll be able to live freer when there's a billion of you. Or two billion of you. Something tells me the fewer people there are, the easier it would be to control everyone. Yes. I just, I'm, I'm, he, he said he he would like to see these things happen, right? Didn't he say that? He said, I, these are, no, these are his hopes, his hopes. Yes. Which means he would like. I'm just having trouble believing some of it. This is what they all want, Jeremy. This is what they all want. And I think the top-level people, they don't care if this is ever achieved, as long as they're always in control of the effort. Well, that's just like socialism itself, right? It's always, it's always about the struggle. Right, the revolution is always happening. It when never I ends. Went- when I went uh, to the Midwest Marxism Conference at Northwestern University's School of Journalism several years ago on a date with executive producer Ann. Um, You're dating that, our executive producers? <laughs> that was how, that was how uh, the whole conference started. The whole conference started basically with this like worshiping of the struggle. It was the struggle itself. Yeah, but Jeremy, don't you see where everything this guy is talking about is basically inaction? It's happening. They're doing it. The mass murder has already begun, Jeremy. Yeah, I think so. And that's why I didn't want kids in the room for this segment, because we're talking about the deliberate mass murder of billions of people. I think there were a lot of people talking about this two years ago, too, and they were called crazy conspiracy theorists. People suggesting that 
that there's a that there's a scheme going on, that there's a plan going on. Yeah, well, without anything to, to point kill to, everybody. without anything to point to, though, it is just a theory. But when you have them in their own words describing what it is they want, and then you compare that with yeah. the things that are happening, now it's no longer just a theory. There's evidence. This is evidence for sure. For sure. I mean, I think you've nailed it here. Well, then take and take this. This is when this was when, and you mentioned this early on when we first started the RFK interview with Gateway Pundit, which everybody should go see if you haven't watched it yet. He drops many bombshells. This included. This was about the Agenda Two Hundred One. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Event, event Two Hundred One. Thank you. <laughs> it's the same. The same, I, the same person named it. You know, that's the same, it came out of the same yeah, shot. Yeah, <laughs> Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, Event 201. Yep, it's yeah. the same people. Uh, this was our COVID 19. This was, this is insane. This is, yeah, right. Same branding. Uh, RFK talks about George Gao the head of the Chinese CDC and his involvement in Event 201 and the timing of it. Now, we talked about this on the last episode, but now listen to this again, taking into context everything I've just played. In 2021, he ordered Avril Haines. Again, he is uh, Biden, uh, who was under pressure from Congress to... Uh, produce some kind of uh, investigation into the origins of COVID. In 2021, he ordered Avril Haines, um, who was the uh, director of national intelligence and who was the former deputy director of the CIA to investigate where it come from. And after 90 days, she came back with a report, 500 pages, all of it redacted, all, none of it shown to the public except for the executive summary that says, said, uh, we're unable to determine. Well, Avril Haines was the same person who co-hosted Event 201, which was this pandemic simulation in October of uh, 2019 with Bill Gates and with George Gao, who's the head of the Chinese CDC. Now, at this time, coronavirus got, you know, it got COVID-19 escaped, this virus that caused COVID-19, we now know escaped the lab sometime probably in August of 2019. August of 2019. Key date. That's when that's when the lab knows there's a problem. That's the earliest date that we know of that anybody has, has mentioned that there was a known problem. The Chinese knew about it by September 19th because they kicked that night at, at midnight, they kicked down the doors of the Wuhan lab and they came in and took over and they removed all of the coronavirus um, genomes from the public facing websites and they put a military general in charge of the lab. And there were, you know, technicians from the lab who were going to the hospital. So they knew at that point. And so a, a, a month after that, there's a pandemic simulation in New York City. The hostess is Avril Haines, and they have the pharmaceutical industry there, the social media companies, the media companies, Bill Gates, NIH, all of them. And they're simulating a coronavirus that escapes and, and kills, uh, I think, 60 million people. One month after the Chinese know that there's a problem in this lab involving a coronavirus. 
this event 201 takes place. And they, they're figuring out different ways that people have to do to deal with it. And of course, none of it was about public health. It was all about clamping down totalitarian controls and using it as a pretense to, to militarize and monetize the response. But the last seminar of that day is number four, the fourth seminar is about censorship. And they're talking about if there's a lab leak, if there, how do we censor rumors that get on the internet that this is a lab leak? And Avril Haines said, you know, George Gayo says we got to shut down the social media companies. And this is the head of the Chinese CDC, you know, collaborating with U.S. health officials about how to shut down, how to censor Americans and shut down social media sites if they start talking about a lab leak. This is before, three months before anybody had ever heard of coronavirus, before the Chinese acknowledged, not Chinese didn't acknowledge until January 1st three months later, and yet they're talking about how to suppress lab leak rumors in October of 2019, and the person doing that is Avril Haines. She's the official that President Biden puts in charge of, um, of, uh, of the investigation of Wuhan, of the COVID origins in Wuhan. So if, if RFK is correct, the implications are devastating. Was COVID-19 a project of the World Economic Forum fundamentalists? So not forget the top leadership or whoever, you know, cynically may not believe what they're saying, but they're preaching this message. They're going to have some fundamentalists who maybe religiously agree with Dennis Meadows that the population needs to be nearly wiped out in order to save the, the proper way of life. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear what Bobby Kennedy thinks. Does he think it's actually a lab leak? Or was that part of the branding that was going on then, too? So that now we're still talking about it as, as, a, as a leak. Leak. That's exactly right. You let the, let the, let the binary debate between be between was it, a bat, was it bat soup or was it an accidental leak? Meanwhile, no one is talking about the possibility that it was an intentional leak. Did you ever see 12 Monkeys? Yes, I did. Bruce Willis. Very good movie. Yeah. It's amazing how many of the, these movies, you know, that were, that are like post-apocalyptic and, and books, you know, 1984 and Atlas Shrugged. And I have a theory on how that happens. A lot, of, a lot of movies I wish I never saw that uh, there's little bits and pieces of all of them. That are coming hundred percent. Yeah, predictive programming. But twelve I, monkeys I have a theory was on that. twelve monkeys was a guy in the airport who opened up that vial of the of a of a of a of a gas or something. Yeah, but how deceptive that was that? That's one lunatic. It's like the, oh, that's the threat is one lunatic. It's not these globalist organizations that are plotting right. to wipe out billions of people. Right. And uh, so right there in the airport, he releases... At least he was Democratic. ...the virus that kills everybody. He, yeah. he was Democratic. He was... <laughs> yeah, he was equal. It was he, equal. Which equality equals and it peace. Was, I guess it was peaceful, right? Then everybody just died and they went and lived underground and the animals took over. Wasn't that what happened? Yep. So it's... It, Jeremy, it's dark, but I, I actually... I believe this is absolutely what is happening. 
I believe that progressives have once again, just like they did in the previous century, have decided to call the herd according to their vision. That's where we are. It explains a lot. They're killing us. Yeah. And they have a lot of incentive to do it. I think uh, they want to. I agree. I think you're right. I think that's what they're doing. Of course, my biblical worldview informs me that this is really all part of Satan's plan. And these are all people that are implementing his plan in trying to destroy God's creation. I think either way, we're talking about the same thing happening. But um, but I think that's really what, what you're looking at. And that... I think that's interesting to do. Go back to my point about the tree of knowledge. Yeah, I. It fits. It fits. Oh, oh! Since you mentioned the tree of knowledge, uh, because you know uh, Musk, he has that that Neuralink company. Yeah, or at least the people he works for have that company. There's no yes, way that, that he is an expert that, in all they, these things. He is he's a sales guy. He's a face. Right. Isn't that where they put that little like spring in your brain? Yeah, where that well, how else are you going to have access to every bit of knowledge on the planet without having to log on to an on, to a web page? It's they're gonna implant it in your brain. You will be a human server. I think we doesn't also need that what's that? Doesn't that just sound great? <laughs> Here's Michael Rechtenwald talking about very briefly talking about Elon Musk. I think we also need to encourage defection from uh, the elite. There are some possible elite defectors. I don't know about the status of Elon Musk. He's an ambiguous figure in my mind. But I like to keep hope alive that he may actually represent some possibility, at least in getting uh, some victories. Uh, he does operate this company, Neuralink, which is really uh, brain cloud interfacing, effectively. It could be brain cloud interfacing. That means your brain will be on the web. Uh, but he's also sort of uh, like-minded about ESG. He called it a scam. And uh, he is also uh, at least nominally in favor of free to free speech. So we'll see. But in any case, there have to be other elites out there, too. There probably are, but they're plugged in enough to know not to speak up. Yeah, I and I think he's right. And I think that's sort of kind of in my assessment. Yeah, this guy, I like him. Uh, he, that's kind of in my assessment of Musk. It's like it's hard to tell. To me, my, my hunch tells me he's a globalist, but he has shown some signs of potentially – being some sort of agent of resistance or, you know, you never know. And he, he, this will go back into my biblical worldview that he recently was interviewed, not that recently, I should try to find some of it, but it was a back uh, maybe a year or two ago by the Babylon Bee. And do you know the Babylon Bee is? Yeah, satirical website, competitor to the Onion, uh, with a informed with a with a Christian worldview. Yeah, and they interviewed him, and in that interview, he he made some comments 
Um, I don't think he actually came out and acknowledged uh, a faith in Jesus, but he sort of, if I'm remembering correctly, he kind of was maybe alluding to a accepting of some sort of possibility that things in the Bible are true and accurate, as I believe. And it's interesting because if, you know, in my, in our, in a, I think from the, from my perspective in, in, in biblical teaching, you have a, there's a, there's a period of time that can go on for quite a long time where God is working on you and changing you. Um, and maybe that's something that's happening with him. You know, it's called sanctification. And, and maybe that's something that's happening with Elon Musk. Maybe he is going through a change. Maybe some of the things that we're seeing where he's becoming a champion of free speech, or maybe he's talking about AI as something that's dangerous. Um, I, you know, I don't know, but, but, but if, you know, why would he be having some of these changes when he so clearly seems to be part of it? He's the richest guy in the world. You know, he could, he has a lot to lose if he goes against it. Um, He'll only so go against know. it so far. Yeah, I, I'm cynical. I think he works for whoever it is he works for that has him in the front of all of these different companies. He's a tool. That, that's my hunch too. But just but I do but but even more than these things that he's done politically, I might go back to that Babylon B interview that might even if 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 there's a hope for him of being one of these people that might defect from the elite, it, I would point to that interview as as a potentially greater sign of whether or not that would be true or not, or why it would be true. Well, time will tell. Meanwhile, though, it doesn't matter. Even if he is having a conversion, the digital prison is being built. So uh, unless there are a dozen of him that are coming out of the woodworks, it, it won't matter. And if he is the authentic, they'll crush him, and that'll be the statement that goes that 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 is uh, uh, received by any potential other elite defector. I have a theory, by the way, uh, as to why we have so much of that predictive programming you were talking about, where in, in all these movies like uh, 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 Twelve Monkeys. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and any there's a whole slew of them that the, the train derailment in Palestine, Ohio that, that had that movie. The that Matrix. Was, was literally, right, The Matrix. So here's why I think that happens. I think that what when, I think successful writers and successful producers, successful creatives, they find themselves in the in the elite cocktail set. They're invited to all the right parties. They're invited to the to the all the right gatherings, the right events, the right mixings. And I think that the people who are involved in this stuff, they talk about these things. They these are these are the subjects of conversation at these cocktail parties. And I think creative mm. people hear these things and they begin to incorporate it into their work. They take it as a as a launching off point they uh, and run with it and their imagination is inspired by the reality that is surrounding them that's mm-hmm. that's my take i think they i think it mostly comes 
from dinner parties, cocktail parties, different parties, fancy I gatherings. If, I wonder if they're intentionally being fed those. That would be a great tips. place to do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be that's a great a, place to do it. That's a, that's, yeah, smart, yeah, Jeremy. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's two, that's the two of us coming up with it together. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that was all I have on the absolute dark heart of the plot to wipe out 85% of the global population. You can see now why I did not want young children in the room for that. That's too dark. Yeah, but he even said it would be peaceful. <laughs> right. <and equal. laughs> Nonviolent. Right, because none of us will have energy to be violent. We're going to be starved out. And we're, you're going to be violent in your own little 15-minute city. Go for it. Well, that was a very uh, uplifting, great way to take us, uh, take our mind off the big letdown. <laughs> I forget, you know, chew on all of this. I forgot all, all about, <laughs> I forgot all about, uh, I forgot all about the uh, person that Comer's going to announce some later date in the White House right. that's pressuring the uh, whistleblowers. Right. Go and get I that forgot guy. forgot all about uh, the FBI's disaster in Jake Tapper. Yep. So, good job, Mr. Marcus. I've distracted you. Okay, I'll, you, I'll end this on a positive note. I'm going to lift our spirits. Jeremy, uh, yeah. <laughs> So, Jeremy, up in Toronto, <laughs> this is such a great story. <laughs> uh, a, a young gentleman decided to open up a cafe in Toronto. And this was a very, very counterculture, rebellious cafe. Listen to this. I've never been there. Have you been? <laughs> Have you never, you've never been to, to Toronto? This is out I've of Toronto. Been. Uh, from I've been to Canada, but I've never been to Toronto. The YouTube channel Blog2, B-L-O-G-T-O. The Anarchist is a worker-owned, anti-capitalist, anti-colonial cafe, shop, and community space. He garbled it. The Anarchist is the name of this coffee shop. The Anarchist is a worker-owned, anti-capitalist, anti-colonial cafe, shop, and community space. Gabriel opened the space after leaving Vancouver due to its unwelcoming sense of classism. Though he never felt comfortable working in a coffee shop in BC, he knew if he were to have one of his own, it would have to adopt the values that occupy such a huge part of his life. A place devoted to radical leftist politics, revolution, ending capitalism, improving the world's economic system that benefits everyone and not just elites, and most importantly, sparking conversations that will help implement these ideas. Other than delicious coffee, which Gabriel is most definitely an expert in, the shop has a rich selection of progressive political books that he's selling at wholesale prices. I was happy to try some great light roast espresso here. I even tried my first espresso tonic, which is something of a micro-revolution in itself. I highly recommend paying a visit to Gabriel at 190 Jarvis Street, if not for great coffee, for even greater conversation. So they just had some big news. They that was their from their that was uh, back during their grand opening. That was a year ago. Are they doing anything that every coffee shop doesn't do? Uh, well, <laughs> there are a lot of coffee shops like that, loaded with left wing political books and. Yeah, this one stands out even among those. <laughs> the anarchist. <laughs> uh, he's going out of business. 
they're closing oh. their doors this week. <laughs> so he's doing what a lot of coffee shops do. <laughs> That's right. USA. 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 He, he was, wow. I, have him, I have a quote from him here. It just isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, was he ever really in business to be in business? <laughs> This guy's story is uh, here. Let me. Uh, their website is theanarchist.ca. I highly recommend everybody go look at this website. Uh, it is. It's absolutely hysterical. It reads. I kind of want to go there and do a story about it. It. it, uh, it you, go interview. Yeah, right. Well, you have until the end of the month. They're closing at the end of this month. Um, if any listeners want to send us to Canada, a place I, where I won't go. Uh, yeah, we could do a video piece on it. They are be kind of fun. It, it, like I said, it's like a parody. It is. This is a parody. You couldn't write this any better. Uh, this guy, he's just a. He's such a. He's a schmuck. He is a barista, and he looks like he's a, probably a very good barista. His drinks look pretty good, but he couldn't. He just. You know he. He's got no clue what he's doing. He, when you read the backstory about how he opened this business, and he's, he is just a complete moron. And this business was going to close. It was in, it was inevitable. <laughs> well, here's what I want to know: Did he get a loan to start it? Okay, so uh, from his frequently asked questions page, where did you get the investment capital? Parenthetical vomit to start the business. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Pop Coffee Works, who are my house roaster and landlord at the cafe, extremely generously offered to let me take over their pre-existing cafe for six months for free. After that, I'll be paying them a very discounted rent. So he paid a discounted rent for six months and went out of business. <laughs> Without their incredibly anti-capitalist generosity, the cafe would never have happened. And I would never have been able to afford to start my own business without selling my soul to some sketchy investors. So all I had to do was pay for the start, pay at the start. Uh, was anything I wanted to sell, and the internet and utilities. Even that was a lot more money than I had. But with the magic of credit card debt, I was able to get the ball rolling and have gradually been adding to the shop as things sell. This guy financed his anti-capitalist business with big bank credit cards. Yeah, I bet it was a Capital One card. <laughs> <laughs> An anti-Capital One card. <laughs> Wow. Uh, uh, his, well, that's well, too bad. I feel sorry for Yeah, him. I do not. I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I feel sorry for the people of Toronto to have had to coexist with this cafe for the 12 months that they did. This guy got the lesson he deserved. Um, I hope that what happens to this gentleman is that he takes this lesson and goes and becomes a successful entrepreneur because he is an entrepreneur trying to get out of his programmed Marxist Maoist body. There, yeah, there, there is an entrepreneur in there his, trying to get out. He's got the impulse. He would have to sell his soul. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, now he's got nothing to sell. He's not selling anything. So his soul is intact. Uh, one well, of the things that might've been a problem was he was charging for the drip coffee. It was whatever you could pay. Well, into the streets then. 
This is what I love. I love about stories like this. And always when I see stories, Jeremy, every story I see, I go digging. And there's almost always a little, there's there's a rabbit hole. Sometimes the rabbit hole is extremely big. Sometimes the rabbit hole is very small. (laughs) The rabbit hole is very small in this one, but it is very rewarding. Four blocks away, 0.7 miles away from our now going out of business anarchist cafe is this brand new restaurant and bar. And I have high hopes for this one. This is a fantastic idea. All right, it's Richard Southern. I'm on Bay Street, and I'm watching the ticker tape here in Toronto's financial capital, but no, I'm not at the stock exchange. I'm at Toronto's first stock exchange-themed bar. It's called CKTL. It's completely financial-themed. They got the banker lights, they got the gold for the hot portfolio, and they have the real-time ticker tape drink prices fluctuate in price depending on demand. So a table might have ordered three glasses of Chardonnay. It may influence the other wines. That would make the Chardonnay go up or down? Up. Up. Mm-hmm. But if, not, if, if nobody's order, ordering the uh, Shiraz... Mm-hmm. Then you better jump on that because it's a deal. How genius is that? I have a feeling it's going to be successful. <laughs> I love this place. What a great concept. I'll go in, whatever is the less the lesser expensive drink that night, that's maybe that's what I'll have. That's fantastic. It doesn't apply to the to the food though. It's just to the drinks. I oh, think that's genius. What it's they genius. should have it applied. It, well, to you know the what food. it should apply. I agree. And why not? If they've got why food not? items that aren't moving, dump the price. Don't they have to get rid of it? What are they gonna you know, it's gonna spoil. Uh, just to let you know, the entrepreneur who was on camera for that place, uh, Cocktail, C-K-T-L, which is a brilliant name. It's the, it's a stock ticker <laughs> name, yeah, the symbol right. for a cocktail, uh, is an Asian dude with a crucifix hanging off his ear, a Christian uh, Asian who came well, up embracing capitalism. Yeah. Okay. So I just, how perfect is that? The anarchists... With everything given to them for free for six months, couldn't couldn't survive an additional six months. And these cap these ultra capitalists who are clearly immigrants are gonna clean house. I suspect they'll do uh well if it's in the financial district. I wouldn't open it up in the next to like the record store in the hipster part of town. I wouldn't open it next to the Anarchist Cafe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, it is actually, you know, it, it's, a, it's an optimistic move for them to open up in the financial district because it means people are coming back to downtown to work. And I'm betting that's yeah. an actually, that's an early indicator that that's happening. Could be. I, that's what I've heard. I think. Heard no way they would open up in a, in a business district that's not, receiving any business if they do then they might as well be partners with the guy from the anarchist coffee yeah i was gonna say unless the anarchist is their biggest investor right (laughs) it's (laughs) that's how you keep your soul clean anyway i just thought that was an excellent way to bring us to the exit yes that was jerry that was not a letdown right good show good end to the show happy ending that was a, that was a good one, yeah. 
Thank you to everybody listening and to everyone who wrote in to contribute their two cents on uh, on previous episodes contributing to this episode. Who are our producers, Jeremy? Michael L. in Vernon Hills. Will from Wisconsin. Executive producer, Ann. The secret word for today is Canadian bean. (laughs) Red beans. (laughs) Well, wait, now do we go with Canadian beans or red beans? What do we do? (laughs) Canadian bean. All right. Canadian Jeremy's beans. calling it. We are going with Canadian beans. Also known as anarchist coffee. It's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Ugh. Please, one of our listeners, if you are, if there's anybody in Toronto, go to both of these. A, a day trip. If you've <laughs> ever been to the anarchist coffee shop. Mm. Let us know how it is. Write us at truth at truthbait.com and listen for the podcast. We come to you every Tuesday and Friday without fail. The best of our ability. And now back into the sea of clickbait with you all. 